order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Sir Peter Bottomley. Number one, sir. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Adrian Ismay, a Belfast prison officer, died last week as a result of injuries caused by a bomb placed under his vehicle. A murder investigation is underway and one man has been charged in connection with this attack. But we should today offer our condolences to the family and friends of Mr Ismay. Mr Speaker, let me also briefly update the House on the terrorist attacks yesterday in Brussels. Details are still emerging, but our understanding is that at least 34 people were killed and many others injured. Daesh claimed responsibility for these attacks, which follow the horrific suicide bombing they carried out in Istanbul on the 19th of March. We are aware of four British nationals who were injured in the attack, and we are concerned about one missing British national. Mr Speaker, we face a common terrorist threat, and I'm sure the whole House will join me in expressing our full solidarity with the people of Belgium following these terrible attacks. I spoke to Belgian Prime Minister Charles Michel yesterday to pass on our condolences. Our police and agencies are doing everything they can to support this investigation. In this country, we've increased police patrols and border screening. My right hon. Friend, the Home Secretary, will be making a statement later, setting out all the steps we're taking. But, Mr Speaker, Britain and Belgium share the same values of liberty and democracy. The terrorists want to destroy everything that our two countries stand for, but we will never let them. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Sir Peter Bottomley. Bombers, as everywhere and every time, aim for publicity, public reaction and disunity. Can we disappoint them by uniting for hope, not hate? Well, my honourable friend is absolutely right to say that. Uh, These people packed their explosives with nails in order to kill as many innocent people, women and children, as they possibly could. And we should unite in their condemnation, stand with the people and the government of Belgium and with all countries that are being afflicted by this appalling terrorist menace in this way and say they shall never win. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I support the words just said by the Member for Worthing and by the Prime Minister in solidarity with the people of Belgium and the victims of the horrific attacks that have taken place in Brussels and also in Ankara in the last few days. We pay respect and tribute to all their families and friends and we pay enormous respect to the emergency services of all denominations for the huge work that they have done to try and save life. We must defend our security and values in the face of such terrorist outrages and refuse to be drawn into a cycle of violence and hatred. We take pride in our societies of diverse faiths, races and creeds and will not allow those who seek to divide us to succeed. My right honourable friend, the member for Lee, will be responding on behalf of the Labour Party to the statement that the Home Secretary will be making at uh, 12.30. Can I also join the Prime Minister, Mr Speaker, in sending my deepest condolences to Mr Ismay's wife, Sharon, and his three daughters. The people of Northern Ireland made a profound choice to follow the path of peace when they widely adopted the Good Friday Agreement. The actions of an unrepresentative few should not be allowed to change the course supported by the overwhelming majority of people in Northern Ireland. Mr Speaker, on a different subject altogether, last week I got a letter from Adrian. He wrote to me saying, I'm disabled and live in constant fear of my benefits being reassessed and stopped and being forced onto the streets. Could the Prime Minister do what the Chancellor failed to do yesterday and apologise to those that went through such anguish and 
upset during the threat of a cut in their personal independence payments? Well, first of all, let me thank the right hon. Gentleman for what he said both about the terrorist attacks in Belgium and also for what he said about Northern Ireland and the fact that we have achieved so much peace and progress in that valuable part of our United Kingdom. Turning to the issue of disability benefits, as I said in this House on Monday, when you are faced with having to take very many very difficult decisions, including many spending reductions, as we were after becoming the Government in 2010, you do not always get every decision right. I am the first to accept that, to admit that, and on every occasion that happens, it's very important you learn the lessons. But as we do so, we will continue to increase spending on disability benefits, which will be £46 billion, more than £46 billion a year by the end of this Parliament, compared to £42 billion when I became the Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, Government figures published only this morning show the number of people with disabilities and homeless is now up by 39% since 2010. 300,000 more disabled people are living in absolute poverty. That's why people like Adrian are very worried. There has been big disarray in the Cabinet over the last few days. So can the Prime Minister now absolutely categorically rule out any further cuts to welfare spending in the lifetime of this Parliament? Simply yes or no. Well, let me respond to all the points he just made. I mean, first of all, he talked about the number of people in poverty. We've actually seen poverty fall uh, over this Parliament. The second thing he referred to is the regrettable rise in homelessness, with figures out today, but homelessness is still 58% below the peak that it reached under Labour. I think that is important. Now, he talks about the number of disabled people, and this is a government committed to supporting the disabled, but it is worth making the point that in the last two years there are extra 293,000 disabled people who have got into work. And we want to continue, as we have set out in our manifesto, to close that disability gap. Now, as for the question about further welfare reductions, let me repeat the statement that the new Welfare Secretary made on Monday, the Chancellor uh, made on Tuesday. And happy to make again. I, uh, I dealt with these issues on Monday. I mean, if he doesn't ask the questions, he can't exactly... Bl- I turned up and gave the answers, even though he hadn't uh, given the questions. But we're very clear we are not planning additional welfare savings other than the ones that we set out in our manifesto and that are in train. Mr Speaker, my question was actually about the poverty of people with disabilities, which the Prime Minister did not answer. In his failure to explain uh, how he would fill the hole in his budget left by the change of heart on PIP, the Chancellor said, and I quote, we can absorb such changes. If it's so easy to absorb changes of this nature, why did the Chancellor and the Prime Minister ever announce it in the first place? Will he now listen and learn and withdraw the £30 per week cut to disabled ESA claimants, which his government is pursuing? 
the changes to employment and support allowance have been through both Houses of Parliament, and it is important to note that employment and support allowance for the most disabled, that is the support group, are up by almost £650 a year under this Government. We've increased the higher rate of attendance allowance, we've increased carers allowance, we've increased the enhanced rate of PIP, because we believe a strong economy should support the most disabled people in our country, and that's exactly what we've legislated to do. Now, if the Right Honourable Gentleman wants to get on to discussing black holes, I say bring on the argument, because we inherited an 11% budget deficit from the Labour Party. And under this team of ministers and this Chancellor of the Exchequer, we have cut that deficit by two-thirds since we became the Government. From Labour, all we've had is more proposals for more spending, more welfare, more taxes, more debt. All of the things that got us into the biggest mess with the biggest black hole in the first place. Mr Speaker, if it's all so fine and dandy, then the question has to be asked, why did the, why did the member for Chingford feel it necessary to resign as Work and Pensions Secretary, complaining that the cuts being announced were to fit arbitrary fiscal targets? He said they were distinctly political rather than in the national economic interests. If the initial... In the initial announcement, he proposed cuts in PIPs, then changed his mind. Isn't the Honourable Member for Chingford right when he says this was a political decision rather than one made in the interests of people in this country? I believe that after seven or eight years of economic growth, it is right to be targeting a surplus because a responsible government puts aside money for a rainy day. I don't want to be part of a government that doesn't have the courage to pay off our debts and leaves them instead to our children and grandchildren. And that is the truth. What is dressed up as compassion from the party opposite just means putting off difficult decisions and asking our children to pay the debts we weren't prepared to pay ourselves. I don't know why. I don't know why the shadow leader of the House is, is shouting at me. But Mr Speaker, we've got a very interesting document today. We've got the spreadsheet of which Labour MP is on which side. The Honourable Lady, the Honourable Lady is shouting. But it says here, no, 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 she's neutral but not hostile. That's right. Now, the chief whip, on the other hand, the chief whip is being a bit quiet. The, look, there are, f there are five categories. Mr Speaker. But look, look, no, no. Mr Speaker, there are five categories. We've got, the, we've got core support. Day, Mr. Speaker. We've got core support. Uh, I think you can include me in that lot. Uh, we've got core plus. The Chief Whip's being a bit quiet because she's in hostile. Mr. Speaker, I, I thought I had problems. If I could invite the Prime Minister to leave the theatre and return to reality. The reality is that he has presided over a budget that unravelled in two days and now contains a $4.4 billion black hole in it. He may wish to consult the Chancellor on yet another change of heart on this matter. Could he, 
now consult the Chancellor and tell the country who's going to pay for this black hole? Is it going to be cuts or tax rises? Where will the cuts fall? Where will the tax rises take place? 4.4 billion has to be found from somewhere. Oh, suddenly the suddenly the king of fiscal rectitude speaks. He may have noticed the budget passed last night, and it's a budget that cuts the deficit in every year of this Parliament. It's a budget that delivers a surplus by the end of this Parliament, and none of that is going to change. He talks about this budget. I'll tell him... Hold on, hold on. The the hostile... You you shout, hostile shout, that's right. But but neutral but not hostile. You have to be quiet, I think. Hold on. No. Who's core support plus? Anyone else? I'll tell you what this budget did. It took a million people out of income tax. It saw more money for our schools. It helped the poorest people in our country to save. It cut taxes for small businesses. It cut taxes for the self-employed. It made our economy stronger. It made our country fairer. And it's a budget that will help this country do better. Mr. Mr. Speaker, the truth is it was a budget that fell apart in two days. The truth is that many people with disabilities went through the most unbelievable levels of stress and trauma after the PIP announcement was made. There are many people who are still going through stress and trauma in our society. There are still... I'm not sure that those members... Sure, Mr. Speaker, those members opposite that are shouting so loudly at the moment have any idea what it is like to try and balance a budget at home when you don't have enough money coming in, the rent is going up, and the children need clothes. Order, order. There's too much shouting on both sides of the house. Stop it. The public are bored stiff by it. The Honourable Gentleman, right Honourable Gentleman, will finish his question, will have an answer, but no shouting from members of any grouping. That's the message. Budget has to mean something for everybody in our society, however poor and however precarious their lives actually are. This budget, this budget, downgraded growth, downgraded wage growth downgraded investment, the Chancellor's failed on debt targets, failed on deficit targets, as the official figures have shown. The fiscal rule is quite simply failing. The Treasury Select Committee scrutinised the Government's fiscal rule. They couldn't find any credible economist who backed it. Can the Prime Minister find anybody that backs a budget and a policy that is a budget with a big hole in it and downgrades every single forecast that they set themselves before the budget was made? Well, it's just a bit late because the budget passed through this House with large majorities on every single vote. Let me remind him, this is a government that is spending more on the disabled than in any year under the last Labour government. We are spending more on the most disabled, including the most disabled children in our country. We've got more disabled people into work than ever happened under Labour. And what we see with this budget is the background of an economy that is growing, employment at a record high, investment that is rising, businesses that are creating jobs in Britain that is the envy of other European economies. And it's because we've got a 
strong economy that were able to provide this support. That is what you can see, Britain getting stronger and the Labour Party a threat to the economic security of every family in our country. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I am sure the Prime Minister is as appalled as I am that instances of anti-Semitism are on the rise. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that all organisations, public and private, should root out anti-Semitism without hesitation? I completely agree with my uh, honourable friend. Uh, Anti-Semitism is an absolute cancer in our societies and we should know that when it grows it is the signal of many even worse things happening to ethnic groups and different groups all over our country. There is uh, sadly a growth of anti-Semitism in our country and we see it in terms of attacks on Jewish people uh, and Jewish students and it absolutely has to be stamped out. We should all, all of us, whatever organisation we're responsible for, make sure that happens. And I have to say we do see a growth in support for segregation and indeed for anti-Semitism in part of the Labour Party and I'd say to the leader opposite it's his party and he should sort it out. Mr. Order. This sort of gesticulation across the chamber. Order is way below the level and the dignity of senior members of the front bench on either side. Terribly tedious. Cut it out. Angus Robertson. Speaker, when terrorists attack Brussels or Paris or London or Glasgow, we are as one in our condemnation of these atrocities as we equally condemn the killings of Yazidis, of Kurds, of Syrians and Iraqis by Daesh and other extremists. We owe a huge debt of gratitude to those who work here and abroad to protect us in the face of the ongoing terrorist threat. So will the Prime Minister confirm that absolutely everything is being done to help the Belgian authorities and the people of Belgium in the wake of the Brussels attacks? I can certainly confirm that. In my conversation with the Belgian Prime Minister, I made a number of offers about policing and intelligence assistance that we could give, particularly uh, high-end expert and technical capabilities. There are already some intelligence officers embedded with uh, the Belgian authorities and strong police-to-police cooperation. Clearly, the Belgians are coping with an unprecedented uh, situation in their country. We stand ready to do anything more that we can, and we're also clearly examining all the capabilities and things that we have here to see what we, we more can do to safeguard our own country. Angus Robertson. A defining characteristic of a democratic society is our trust in our institutions and democratic oversight by parliamentarians of those who work so hard to keep us safe. We have that oversight with our police. We have that oversight with our security services. We don't yet have that with UK Special Forces under the Intelligence and Security Committee or the Defence Select Committee. Will the Prime Minister address this? I'm afraid uh, I just part company with uh, the Right Honourable Gentleman on this one. We have put in place, I think, some of the most extensive oversight arrangements for our intelligence and security services. They do a remarkable job and, of course, the police are regularly called to account both locally and nationally. Uh, I think the work our special forces do is absolutely vital for our country. They are subject to international law as everyone else is in our country, but I do not propose to change the arrangements under which these incredibly brave men work. Yeah.
David T.C. Davis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In England, this government have delivered better GCSEs, better A-levels and a better chance of getting into university than Labour in Wales. Would my honourable friend, my right honourable friend, agree with me that members opposite have no right to criticise our education policies when their own education minister in Wales has had to issue a public apology for the failure of his own? I think my honourable friend makes an important point that what we've seen in uh, England, and we should praise the teachers who've worked so hard to deliver these results, but it's the result of rigour in standards, independence in our schools, and accountability for results. And when we look at Wales, we don't see those things in place. And so I would urge the Welsh Assembly Government and urge Welsh people, when they've got a choice at these coming elections, to make sure they vote for parties that put education reform, education standards, education rigour, and education accountability first. Mr Alistair Carmichael. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In 1992, the oil tanker Breer ran aground in the south coast of Shetland. It was carrying 85,000 tonnes of Gulfax crude, which then spilled into the sea and onto our shoreline. It caused economic and environmental devastation. Since the Donaldson report into that disaster, we have had an emergency tug stationed in the Northern Isles. It is our protection against ever being blighted in that way again. The Maritime Coast Guard Agency now wants to take that tug away. There will be no finance for it after September. Will the Prime Minister look again at that decision? And will he give an undertaking to the people of Shetland that he met in 2014 not to leave them exposed in that way again? Well, the right hon. Gentleman makes a, a very important point, and my understanding is that the, the one uh, tug that has been there, sustained off the, uh, off the coast of Scotland, has played an important role in the past. The cost is between two to three million pounds a year. It's currently used very sparingly, so it is right to look at the right way to deliver this service in the future. Alternative options will clearly take time to develop and implement, which is why we've announced that this will be funded until the 30th of September 2016, and we'll have to make a decision on provision in due course, and I'll keep him in touch with those developments. Amanda Milling. Thank you, Mr Speaker. We believe in doing the right thing, and that's why it's absolutely right that the proceeds of crime are returned to the local communities that have been the victims of crime. Staffordshire's Police and Crime Commissioner Matthew Ellis is calling on community groups in Cannock Chase to apply for grants from his Commissioner's Proceeds of Crime Fund. Does my right honourable friend agree that this shows that our excellent Conservative Police and Crime Commissioner is delivering real value for the people of Staffordshire? I think my honourable friend makes an important point. I think police and crime commissioners really now have bedded in properly as a means of bringing our police to account. I think the Home Affairs Select Committee and All Party Committee reported recently that they provided greater clarity of leadership for policing and are increasingly recognised by the public as accountable for the strategic direction of their police force. I think that's an important reform. And when 
they bring forward ideas like using the proceeds of crime in the way that she suggests, they should be rewarded at the ballot box. Stuart Blair Donaldson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The list of government ministers and advisers who have resigned after the Prime Minister has expressed his full confidence in them is extensive. So, can I ask the Prime Minister? Does he still have full confidence in the Chancellor? Of course, and I'll tell you why. Because he's the one working as part of a team that has delivered the fastest growing economy in the G7. 2.4 million more people in work, inflation that is virtually zero, wages that are growing, an economy that's getting stronger. Mr Peter Boone. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The House of Common Library confirms that this year our net contribution to the EU will increase by over £2.6 billion. I think it is actually £2,627 million. Prime Minister, should that money be spent supporting people in Bulgaria and Romania, or should it be spent in this country supporting our vulnerable and disabled people? What I say to my honourable friend is our net contribution to the EU accounts for about just over one penny in every pound that is paid in taxes. And so as we enter this vital debate, we have to work out whether we believe that that sort of investment, one penny out of every pound, is worth the jobs and the investment and the growth and the security and the safety and the solidarity that we get through working with our partners. Now, I will be on the side saying that I think that it is, and he's clearly going to be on the side saying that he thinks that it isn't. But we should have a polite and reasonable debate as we go about this. What I would say, and I'm sure which he will welcome, is we have, of course, limited our contributions to the EU budget because we've set an overall EU budget which is falling over the next six years. Now, the reason why our contributions vary is part of it is generated determining to the success of your economy. And returning to the questions I've just been asking, because our economy has been growing faster than others in Europe, we've been making a slightly larger contribution than we otherwise would be. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent, Susan Sutovic, suffered not only the death of her son, but the unexplained circumstances in which this occurred has meant a 12-year battle with the authorities in Belgrade where this happened in 2004. The UK coroner has now ruled this as murder. So would the Prime Minister or Foreign Secretary meet with the family and do what can be done to get a proper investigation to resolve the question marks that remain and achieve justice for Peter? Well, I'm not aware of the case the Honourable Lady mentions, but obviously it is important that her constituent gets proper resolution of this matter, and I'll make sure she has a meeting with Foreign Office Ministers to discuss it. Michael Tomlinson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, JP Morgan Chase, Sunseeker, Cobham, Lush and many other local businesses are supporting the inaugural Mid-Dorset and Northpool Apprenticeships and Jobs Fair. I know the Prime Minister would be warmly welcomed if he happens to be free. It's a QE school on the 15th of April in Wimborne. And I know the Prime Minister will warmly welcome the news that unemployment in my constituency is down by more than 60%. But will he ensure that we're not complacent and that we secure the vital infrastructure needed to get good quality jobs in Dorset and across the South West? friend is absolutely right. One of the reasons why we've managed to get our unemployment rate down to around 5% and we've seen 2.4 million more of our fellow countrymen and women into work is because we've seen businesses recover and using apprenticeships as he says is taking place in his constituency as part of the 3 million target we have for apprentices in this parliament. 
Patrick Grady. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Academics, civil society, and the Scottish Government have all condemned the government's anti-lobbying clause in new grant agreements. How can the Prime Minister promote transparency, democracy, and freedom of speech overseas when this clause is clamping down on those principles here in the UK? I would answer very simply that I want to see taxpayers' money going and charities' money going to good causes rather than in lobbying ministers and MPs and spending money here. That's what they should be spending the money on. But it is worth making the point, Mr Speaker, that we're, of course, only one day away from what would have been Separation Day for Scotland. Had that happened, there wouldn't be money for charities, there wouldn't be money for anything. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Pubs are the beating heart of many communities across the UK. Will the Prime Minister join me in welcoming the support given to our pubs in successive budgets? Join me for a duty frozen pint in the Crown Hotel in Colne and tell the House what more he can do to support this vital part of our economy. And I thank my honourable friend for his kind invitation. I think we've seen in budget after budget this government supporting the pub industry as such an important part of our economy and such an important part particularly of rural communities. I can uh, make one announcement today which is that subject to the usual conditions we'll be extending pub opening hours on the 10th and 11th of June this year to mark Her, Her Majesty's the Queen's 90th birthday. Yeah. I'm sure that will be welcomed right across the House. Richard uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. If you compare my constituency to the constituency of the Prime Minister and the Chancellor, you find I have four times the numbers of youths unemployed, more than double the disabled claimant count, and an average weekly wage of 20% less. Are these the reasons that the Prime Minister and Chancellor never understood, never had the compassion to realise that the disabled cuts were so obviously wrong when everybody else did? And I give him one further opportunity. Will he apologise to my constituents who have been scared witless over the past week? Obviously there remain challenges in his constituency, but the claimant count is down by 16% in the last year alone. The claimant count has fallen by 50% since 2010, and the youth claimant count that he specifically mentioned, that has fallen by 12% in the last year. Now, that has been delivered because we've got a strong economy, businesses want to invest in our country, we're supporting apprenticeships, and we're making sure that that growth is delivering for people. And of course, in just two weeks' time, the national living wage will come in, giving the poorest people in our country a £900 a year pay rise and of course that will be tax free because we're lifting uh, the uh, tax threshold in our country. Is my right honourable friend the Prime Minister aware of the remarks by the Foreign Minister of Russia Sergei Lavrov this morning that we should put aside our differences that terrorists should not be allowed to run the show and would he agree with me that we would be stronger if we could work together but to do that we're going to have to have a better understanding of Russia's security needs. Well, what I would say is, of course, we want to work with everyone we can to combat terrorism. But when it comes particularly to what is happening in Syria, it is vitally important that the Russians stop 
any attacks and do not restart any attacks against moderate Sunnis, moderate Syrian opposition, which clearly have to form a part of that country. You can not in the end defeat terrorism simply through uses of guns and missiles. You defeat terrorism through governance and good working democracies, because in that way people can see their own interests being represented by the countries in which they live. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The former Work and Pension Secretary described the cuts to personal independence payments for the disabled as divisive, unfair, and against the national interests. The Chancellor's U-turn suggests he now agrees. Can the Prime Minister explain how on earth he allowed this to happen in the first place? Well, it's good to have an intervention from someone who I think is neutral but not hostile. So. Uh... I'm sure if she keeps going, she could join Core Group Plus with, uh, with the rest of us. She'd be very welcome in Core Group Plus. I tell you what this government has done. It has increased spending on disability benefits. It's seen 293,000 more disabled people into work in the last two years. 2.4 million more people in work. That is actually bringing the country together because we've got a growing economy that's delivering a fairer society. Suela Fernandez. My right honourable friend will have seen the recent OECD report on literacy and numeracy in England. Based on data from 2012, it ranked our teenagers as bottom out of 23 developed countries for basic maths and reading. A damning indictment of 13 years of Labour's yeah. education policy. Doesn't this show? Order! Order! The Honourable Lady is entitled to ask her question. And the same goes for every other member. Suella Fernandez. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Doesn't this show why a more rigorous curriculum and more autonomy for schools to succeed are vital to turn around the life chances of the next generation? My Honourable Friend makes an important point, which it is worthwhile benchmarking your education system against other advanced countries. And what we've seen in recent years is the competition is very tough. But when you look at the countries that are succeeding, whether it is Republic of Korea or Finland, they have well-paid teachers, they have proper accountability systems for results, they have rigour in terms of their discipline, and that is exactly what we're introducing in our country, with the new curriculum coming in right now. Ahmed Sheikh. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The women of this country are tired of waiting, waiting for equal pay, waiting for an end to maternity and pregnancy discrimination, and waiting for a fair deal for WASPI pensioners. It's 2016. Can I ask the Prime Minister how much longer? Well, the Honourable Lady is absolutely right to raise these issues, and it is good that the pay gap is now at a historic low. It's almost evaporated for under 40s, but there's more to be done in the public sector, in the private sector, to bring that about. On the issue of pensions, what we've introduced is a pension system which will benefit many, many women in years to come because we've got a single-tier pension without a means test, uprated for prices, earnings, or 2.5%. We were only able to do that because we raised the pension age, saving over the long term something like half a trillion pounds. A difficult decision, but the right one, because it means we can look our pensioners in the eye and knowing they're getting dignity and security in old age. Mike Wood. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, 260,000 new apprenticeships have been created since the election. 
But if we're going to meet the three million target to which the Prime Minister referred, then the whole uh, public sector needs to uh, play its part. Will the Prime Minister ensure that every part of the uh, public sector invests in training uh, young people so we have the skills the country needs? My honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this. It is a very stretching target, getting three million apprentices trained in this Parliament. What we're going to have to see is those large companies that have really put their shoulder to the wheel on this agenda to continue to do so. But there are two sectors where we need to do better. One is in the public sector, where we need more public sector organisations to get behind apprenticeships. And also we need to make it simple and attractive for small businesses to start training apprentices again. That is absolutely what my right honourable friend, the member for Grantham, is doing. Doing, uh, with the skills agenda, and we need, all need to work very hard to deliver this by the end of the Parliament. Douglas Carswell. If the United Kingdom votes to leave the European Union in June, does the Prime Minister believe that the EU institutions will respond vindictively? To you, it's it's a very difficult question to answer. I think that uh, if we were to vote to leave. I don't think we should be naive about believing that other countries would automatically cut us some sort of sweetheart deal. Uh, I think if you just take one, but just take one industry as an example, take farming. We know our farmers now know they have duty-free, quota-free, tax-free access to a market of 500 million people. Were we to leave, can we really guarantee? that French farmers or Italian farmers or Spanish farmers wouldn't put pressure on their governments to give us a less good deal. I don't think we can, and that's one of the many reasons I think we are safer, more secure and better off in a reformed European Union. John Stevenson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In April 2015, the Prime Minister said that there should be a new Carlisle principle to ensure that other parts of the UK do not lose out by Scottish devolution. Could the Prime Minister confirm that this principle will apply? Who will review the position and when will it report? And who will it report to? My honourable friend is absolutely right, and I think this is important, particularly for constituencies like his, very close uh, to the border, to make sure that decisions that are made quite sensibly and rightly by uh, devolved parliaments and assemblies uh, don't disadvantage the rest of the United Kingdom. That was the principle set out, and the Chancellor is going to be will report regularly on that as he updates the House on his fiscal plans. Stephen Kinnock. Uh, I, I trust the Prime Minister will be aware that there is a critical meeting of the Board of Tata in Mumbai on Tuesday. I will be flying out to Mumbai with the General Secretary of Community Union to make the case for British Steel. That, that meeting will be deciding on the future of the Port Talbot Steelworks in my constituency. Will the Prime Minister join me in exhorting Tata to stand with that plan and to secure the future of the Port Talbot Steelworks? Yeah. I absolutely uh, give him my backing on that. Uh, a team of ministers uh, met yesterday to discuss all of the things that we can do to get behind the steel industry at this vital time. It's an extremely difficult market situation with the massive global overcapacity and the huge fall in steel prices. But the areas where we've taken action already and we'll continue to look at what more we can do, and that is state aid compensation so we can secure the energy costs, greater flexibility over EU emissions regulations. We've done a 
huge amount in terms of public procurement, which I think can make a big difference to our uh, steel industries. All of those things and more, and making sure that Tata and others understand how, how valuable we believe this industry is to the UK, and there's a government that, with, with, within the limits that we have, wants to be very supportive and very helpful. Yes. Order.